Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Greg Bresnitz. And I'm Darren Bresnitz. We're the host of Snacky Tunes. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun Man About It it. on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts to this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher's iTunes and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We just got ourselves an Instagram account that's at Ferment About It. And we did it in honor of uh, the Heritage Radio host takeover Instagram account. So we've been posting on our behalf all day doing all the crazy stuff we did and i don't always realize how much it is that we're actually doing until we till seen it <laughs> so you can go to heritage <laughs> underscore radio instagram account and we have taken it over for the day so i think we're about to post our sixth photo and we're still playing yeah right but we've been having fun with that so it is our 101st episode so it's the uh it's our just past our centennial and uh we're very excited about it. Excited. Thank you for listening, and, and we're excited about the, the 100 to come. Um, but before we get into this episode, I would like to announce Brunity. The Brunity event will happen on February 22nd here in New York City. Um, to get involved, to represent your homebrew club or your homebrew store. What is Brunity, Chris? Brunity is kind of a big umbrella of all the local homebrew stores and clubs uh, in the New York City area. We're all getting together under one roof to benefit a local charity, and that charity will... will uh, rotate uh based on votes within all of all of the the homebrewers and the homebrewing community and this time we've chosen uh city harvest and so we're working to get that uh fully together but it'll be a one to one p.m one p.m to five p.m on sunday the 22nd you can find out more information about it at brunity.com b-r-e-w-n-i-t-y brunity um, to uh, to find out more and to sign up to participate. And we would love to it if you came, if you are in the area. What else? Well, that's also the third day of New York City Beer Week. New York City Beer Week 2015 begins on Friday, February 20th, and goes for a full 10 days. There's going to be lots of different events in New York City. If you are not from around here, uh, that's a great, great week to visit because there's going to be a lot of fun beer-centric events. And uh, that is a week that has developed and developed over the years. And now it's run by the New York City Brewers Guild, um, not the New York City Homebrewers Guild, different acronym and different folk, but there's some crossover. Anyway, come. It's going to be fun. Mary, is there anything else going on? I don't have anything. You don't have anything? <laughs> well, it's the holidays, and before we get into it, I want to encourage everybody to buy their friends homebrew classes and homebrewing equipment, homebrew gear. Or uh, fermentation or equipment. any fermentation equipment, because sometimes it takes that little bit of nudge to uh, to get involved and to, to get, get fermenting. And for some people, it, it, it's addictive, like for us. And maybe some of you listeners. Anyway. So before, at the second segment of the show, we're going to do a little recap of the year, talk about kind of our current fermentation projects, what we've learned from the year, and what we're looking forward to in 2015. But before that, we're going to go back in time to when we traveled to the Great American Beer Festival in Denver, Colorado. So I think we mentioned this before, but we actually managed to fit in some non-beer-related fun 
stuff. So one of the interesting things that we did is we went to visit Happy Leaf Kombucha, which is actually a stone's throw from Crooked Stave. So we hit that, and we had a great time, and we have an interview with the owner here. So we're here at Happy Leaf Kombucha in Denver, Colorado, with co-owner Jenny Lyons. Super nice to meet you. Thank you. It's good to meet you, too. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, what inspired you to begin making kombucha? Um, So I found kombucha and fermentation um, about 10 years ago for my health. So I was really sick, and I needed something to help me heal, and... Once I started drinking kombucha, it was like, everything switched. So I became obsessed, you know? I was like, I need fermented food, I need fermented, excuse me, and everything. You know, I just had to have everything fermented. So, um, and then I think that's about when, like, GTs was taken off the shelves. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no way, what am I going to do? So I just decided to learn how to make it. And so I started making it, and, um, and then my boyfriend... He is a brewer, so our goal was to have kombucha on tap at our house in our kegerator instead of beer, because beer is dangerous. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, beer in the morning. Uh, better have kombucha. So we do kombucha on tap at our house. Um, but then we had a lot. So there's like, they, here in Denver, we do like handmade markets. There's just like, everybody brings their homemade goods and, you know, tastes them and lets people purchase them and stuff. So we started selling it there, and uh, people just started asking where they could buy it and we were like I don't know yet (laughs) you know so it just kind of just happened we just started growing more and more and stores started asking for our bottles and so we made a label and started bottling it awesome yeah it was really a progression like um I had my own practice as a holistic health coach before this and um Mike has his own business as he runs festivals like beer events and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so now those two things are part-time and kombucha is full-time and when did you open this space? So Happy Leaf, well, the tap room. Mm-hmm. So this space became available about, I would say, like seven months ago. Yeah, it, we have been making our kombucha in the back of this building, and then this just became available, and we loved it. You know, it's, like, bright in here and nice. How much kombucha were you making, or what kind of facility were you making kombucha with before you had this space? So we used a commissary is very tricky like a commissary kitchen where you like rent out like refrigerator space and you rent out like corners of the kitchen and stuff so yeah we did that and then we were like this isn't gonna work like obviously people are cooking food there's like weird stuff in the air so we immediately just got this space yeah yeah on your menu you also have uh, water kefir yeah did you get into water kefir around the same time and was Um, that always part of the program water kefir it came about um we started actually making it when uh, we brought Eileen on, who's our chef. Um, and so we love everything fermented. You know, we don't discriminate, just kombucha. Like, we love everything. Um, and it's, it's a really cool thing to offer to people who are very sensitive to caffeine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we just love kefir. You can do different flavors that you can't do with kombucha, you know, like different herbs that kombucha just doesn't take to. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. To that regard, are there flavors that are year-round for you, or do you seasonally kind of yeah. go with things? So there's two flavors that we do year-round, and that's longevity, the hibiscus lemon ginger, and cranberry lavender. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, those are our two. And then besides that, we just rotate. We're getting a lot of prickly pears in from the mountains right now, so we're doing, like, we do a dry hop prickly pear. 
which is like next week. It's so amazing. That's exciting. And you guys yeah. try to use local produce mm-hmm. as much as you can. Yeah. yeah. So we work. We probably we sell at about 16 farmers markets a week. So basically, we'll go at the end of the farmers market and we'll ask the farmer for all their leftovers. You know, their ugly fruits. Sure. And we'll make kombucha with it. Awesome. Yeah. So, and then you just mentioned to me that you're starting a kitchen. Yeah. So tell yeah. us a little bit about I'm that. I'm so excited. It's called Culture. Um, and we just got our license like two days ago. So, so we're fun. like stoked. You know, we're starting very small. We're just going to do fermented small plates. Um, everything house fermented. Like I was saying, like the tempeh and making some miso and kind of hoping to kind of inspire people's curiosity. Um, so we can do more classes, you know, like tonight I'm doing kombucha class, but we also want to do like a fermented foods class and all these different ones and kind of get everybody interested in like the non-refrigerated food. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so that kitchen, I mean, we're going to just kind of take the kitchen the same way we did our kombucha, just let it progressively become what it is, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, but it is always going to be focus on fermentation. On fermentation. Yeah. We love that, of course. Yeah. 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 So what would you, I mean, you have really, we just had, so Chris and I just ordered a flight of five kombuchas, and um, what would you give home kombucha makers some tips on, on like kind of recipe flavor formulation, or using local foods, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I, so in my classes, I always just like, there's, I have like five tips that I focus on, like to teach people, which is um, ferment simply, you know, you don't add things to your initial ferment. Um, especially with kombucha, because you could really hurt the scoby and mm-hmm. weaken it. Um, and then besides that, you know, have fun with the flavors. I feel like everybody, um, people love our kombucha because we're, we're like, we'll use anything, you know, we'll try anything. We'll use rosemary, we'll use, uh, you know, all these different kinds of like hops and kombucha and stuff like that. And um, it's amazing, like the flavors that come through, you know, so... I, I encourage people to just play around with whatever they want, you know. Obviously, there's certain things that you don't use with kombucha, like honey, you know, and mint and stuff like that. But Why? Because it's... The, well, not it's in so primary sh- anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and then also in the second. I mean, even, like, having it sitting long-term with honey yeah, in it or something. Yeah. If you let it sit with honey, it'll kill it over time because the honey's... It'll kill the scoby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll kill the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's certain things that you got to stay away from, but... Other than that, just, like, having fun with it, you know, and um, I always encourage people to come in here and ask everybody questions, like, hey, my kombucha didn't work, why not, you know, and we can always go back and forth and kind of figure it out for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by here and the people, how many people do you have now uh, with you? As the, our Happy Leaf team? Yeah. Oh, um, I think we have about 10 people. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And you guys are kegging all of your kombucha, yep. as well as bottling. As well as bottling, yeah. So about how much are you doing, do you know how much you're doing per year, or kind of oh. how big are your batches at a time? Or? Yeah, I mean, it, we've been growing very, very quickly. Um, so, and it's cha- every month is like a little bit more, you know? Some months are a lot more. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going through a few thousand gallons, awesome. I would say, a month. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really good, you know, like we, we definitely branch out to many different, we don't just go to like uh, health food places, we go to breweries, we go to the places that people will want it, but maybe not necessarily be offered. Right. And so you're, you... You're going into beer kegs because Mike yeah. was a former brewer. He was a brewer, yeah. Was he a brewer, right? He, he's Twisted Pine. Twisted Pine. Yeah, in Brew- Boulder. So he's, he's doing most of the science work on her and, and the kegging yeah. into normal... Yeah, you know, just like using the tanks and setting up. He taught me everything, and now I can take a keg apart and like wash them and stuff. But 
he was the genius behind like how to go to the dairy graveyard and get a tank and ask them to fit it for us you know and um you know when we first started and we were like had a super tight budget and that's all we could do um but he was able to do it and so he's definitely like the mechanic side and he he's very good at fermentation and the fact that it's going into beer kegs has has that expanded your market or its ability to sell to yeah. Places that have normal draft lines in here. Yeah, I think so. I think I think it definitely helps that we um, we have a passion for beer. Yeah. Mike and I, we love craft beer, and um, so you know our friends are naturally brewers, yeah. and so we can do fun things together. So I think that connection is just kind of like a natural. And thing. you've done some collaborations with breweries, we right? Have. Yeah. Crooked Stave mm-hmm. is just a cup within spitting distance, practically. Yeah. Yep. So tell us how that came about. Um, it was just, I mean, we loved Crooked Stave before we started making kombucha, and then we're like, hey guys, guess what? We make kombucha now, and so that was like a very natural coming together because mm-hmm. they do like brett beers. It's very sour. It's um, you know, so those two flavors, kombucha and sour beers, like. Pretty awesome they together. Really play together. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. And what have you thought about the the uh, the beers that Chad has made? From oh my with- god! <laughs> I think they're genius. I just think they're so good, and like um, it just so happens that like he uses a lot of the same. We use the same flavors, you know. Like one week he has like car car orange, and we're like, oh, that's weird. So do we, <laughs> you know. So I think we have similar um, palettes, yeah. you know. And so it's so easy to blend with his beer. We, we pair well together. But there's other breweries, um, like Mountain Toad in uh, Golden. They were the first one to ever bring us on. Mountain Toad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they just love it. Like, at first the brewers were like, what is this? And why are you putting it in my beer? <laughs> but then they kind of, like, um, you know, tasted it and got to know it. And were like, yeah. oh, okay. You know, you're not stepping on the toes. So, um, yeah, they were the first ones to bring it on. And definitely we hear a lot of feedback from them and their customers. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your yeah. time yeah. and good Thanks luck. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, and if you're in Denver, Colorado, you should definitely stop by Happy Week Kombucha. Yes. Come in and visit us. So a huge thanks to Jenny Lyons of Happy Leaf Kombucha for taking time out of her busy day to sit down and chat with us. I can't wait to revisit and taste from Culture Kitchen. That's true. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Foment About It. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Hosting After the Jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I I kind of 
describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. I'm glad I have my computer open because I'm going straight to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate so that we can have another 100 episodes. All of this only works if uh, uh, from the support of our listeners. It's uh, completely non-profit, not for profit, and uh, we're all the hosts are volunteers. We're doing this because we love it. We love the content, and we really, really love sharing it with you. And it has been an amazing journey from starting uh, this 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 radio show ferment about it um and here to talk more about our personal fermentations is mary eisen <laughs> tell right. us about your year in fermentation <laughs> all right so this is actually chris's last show for 2014 it is true I'm so he's sorry. leaving for hong kong he'll be in hong kong for two weeks right 16 yep. days yep, yep. and uh so i will be here next week with a some special guests but this is chris's last show so i thought we would take this time to talk about kind of 2014. It's been an absolutely amazing year, I think, for us personally and professionally and in in every way, shape, and form. So we had 45 total shows this year. I went back through them today and looked at all, you know, and I was trying to pick, oh, can I do a top five, a top 10? No, I can't. So I'm just going to hit some highlights. So we started, we launched the year with Finback. So Finback Brewery is now open in Queens. I think they're doing quite well. Their beer is delicious. I drink a lot of it out in the bars. Um, and they have a great tasting room if you can get there. It's it's beautiful. It's uh, it's remote. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, fantastic. Hey, Uber goes everywhere. Oh, that's right. And we have fantastic public transportation here in New York City. Got a bicycle? Use it. Um So we finally <laughs> did our first and second kimchi show with Tony Limuaka. We did two kimchi licious. Those were 56 and 59. Then Kuzme and I traveled to Hong Kong, Cambodia, and Vietnam in January and February. So we got to visit with some home brewers out there as well as a new craft brewery in Hong Kong, Young Master Ales. I'll be doing a recap. I want to start doing, we, we talked to a lot of people that are just starting their thing, and I kind of want to start doing some recaps, some, some, uh, some like VH1 now, where are they now kind of things, you know. Which I love help, it. Which we'll do. We learned to make Be Ahoy with Brayden Jasmine of Malai Kitchen. Ah, uh, we got to hang out with the the beer historian himself, Ron Pattinson uh, and Dan such Paquette. A beautiful cat. We had a bunch of Portland brewers in here, thanks to Breakside Common and Hopworks Urban. We've seen those guys a couple times at CBC and then at uh, GABF as well. Um, oh, and then CBC happened and. We got to interview Michael Pollan. It was a short interview, but it was, that was amazing. Um, Scobie Wrangler, Chris from Kombucha Brooklyn, was on. Ah, we hosted John Palmer. I unfortunately was not in the studio, but Kuzmi but you had learned it. a lot from that episode, I did. didn't you? Yes, episode. great episode. That host was great too on his own. <laughs> she let him get his own show. <laughs> and then Tara Witsit from Fermentation on Wheels rolled through, and I got to interview her on the bus. And then Chris got to meet her. 
late last month because yeah. she came back into town. Fascinating. Um, we got to learn about craft malting with both Andrea and Twyla. We got to learn about wrangling your own yeast from Jeff Mello. We geeked out with Drew and Tom from the Brooklyn Brewery. We learned how to make sake and peanut butter and jelly short meat from <laughs> Danielle and Benjamin of Brooklyn Homebrew. And also, um, Eddie Hoskins also taught us to make sake on episode 83. Episode yeah. 95 rolled around, and who did we have the privilege of hosting in the studio but Charlie Bahazian, the, the godfather, godfather of homebrewing in America and probably the world, pretty much. And then we got, had two cultured food shows back-to-back, which we've never done, with Lita and Leda. <laughs> then we had uh, Sean Paxton and also Bahia. We talked about non-traditional holiday beverages and foods, and Paxton taught us how to beer brine a turkey. You 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 didn't mention Jim Cook of Boston Beer. Oh, I've, oh my God! How can special. I forget that? that no, that was totally special. Dude, man. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, we did so many amazing things. We got to go to the National Homebrewers Conference, the Craft Brewers Conference, and GABF this year. And I think we've just been super inspired. So, I feel like we're at the end of the season of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, where they go through memory lane and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to get to some content right now. Yes. of of some actual. So stuff. We let's, we're going to have a do. sourdough <laughs> update first of all. So currently, I am super obsessed with sourdough bread. So Chris and I talked about last week about how we started our starter. So we did the pineapple juice method that was developed yep. by Deborah Wink, um, and our starter just took off. We have made three loaves of bread since then and actually they're all really damn good yeah um so we are actually i'll tell you a little bit how we're doing it so we are following a recipe that's on breadtopia or that's kind of how we started and also kind of a hybrid between that and the recipe from tartine so we when you talk about we're using the no need sourdough bread method so basically we are mixing our dough we're not making a sponge or anything are you saying there's no need to knead that's correct okay so we are Mixing our dough. Is that need to know basis? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And it's a very, it would be like a a moisture than a a dough that you would need to knead. That would require kneading. Excuse me. (laughs) And we're using, so bread makers we've learned, talk about in hydration percentages. So we're talking about a hydration of 75%. So what that means is that we're starting out like today, this morning before I went to work, I mixed up a batch of dough. I used a thousand grams of flour and 75 grams of water. So the 75 grams of water is 75% of our total flour ratio. So we're using a 75% hydration ratio. And by, if you, if you kind of do this and know that's what you're aiming for, then you can take any amount of flour and always figure out how much water you need to start with. We're also weighing everything out. We're using a gram scale. It's pretty easy. We're just using our regular kitchen scale and my my cute little Scaling blade is better scale. than volume. Yeah, right? because volume can depend, especially with flour. I mean, how much air is in your flour? How much are you packing it down? That actually can, can make a, a decent difference. But this is how we're making our bread. We are mixing our dough up, the 75% hydration ratio, we're letting it proof for we I have now adopted the technique that Peter Reinhardt is is saying he actually is using oil instead of flour. So I'm using a thin layer of canola oil in a it's actually a um, you're going too fast for me. What is proofing? So proofing is basically letting it rise or letting it ferment, right? So for all of you home brewers out there, home mead makers, cider makers, your beer or cider or mead gets, you know, is fermenting, your airlock is bubbling, you're getting that krausen. That is basically what proofing is. That yeast is yeast, and actually in this case, because it's sourdough, it's a yeast and bacteria mixture. It is 
doing its thing. It's converting the sugars and the flour into um, carbon dioxide and alcohol. So it's mm-hmm. creating gases and other kinds of nice flavor compounds just like it's doing in your beer. So you're basically crowsing that bread, for lack of a better term. Somebody might correct, more technical might correct me, but I think that's pretty close to what it is. It puts it into terms we can, as exactly. can understand. It. This is the show from by birth. <laughs> okay, so, but, but going back to the beginning, so the starter, though, it, mm-hmm. it, that the, with the pineapple juice, that we're making a starter. We're trying to get make sure we have a, a cell count kind of thing if we're putting it, if we're doing this parallel right yeah and the, the the way that we know our starter was going is that it's bubbling and it smells great it smells yeasty for lack of a better term it smells like fermenting beer kind of there's actually a lot of different a lot of aroma compounds that it has in so it just smells healthy and really nice um so we're taking that we're mixing it into our with just flour water and salt no other ingredients i'm making a dough and then I'm putting that dough in a, um, it's actually one of my, it's a two-gallon um, food-safe plastic container that I used to Ferment. make beer in. Yeah. yeah, and I fermented a bunch of stuff in it, mead, tapache, all kinds of stuff. So I'm using that. It's food-safe, food-grade plastic. So I'm coating it with a very light coat of canola oil and then putting the dough in there. I'm letting it, we're proofing it or letting it rise or ferment. For about 8 to 12 hours, our loft is very cold in the winter, so we have a little fermentation chamber that has a grow mat in it um, that's on a thermoregulator. So it's about 76 degrees in there. So we're letting that, it's going to get to about twice the size. So obviously, just as in beer or anything else that you ferment, all these things are going to be dependent on your environment. So if it's warmer, it might take a little bit less time to prove. If it's colder, it'll take more time. So um, at, at that point, we're taking it out. We're going to slide it easily out of that because we've put this light coat of oil um, onto a, another nonstick surface. We're just going to fold it over a few times, let it rest for 15 minutes. Then we're going to be- put it back in that proofing, in our proofing container, and let it rise again or proof again. You know, think about it. It's going to krausen again. So it's kind of like a secondary fermentation if you're doing beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for about an hour and a half. Again, it's going to be temperature dependent. Then we're taking that out and we're putting it in the oven. Now, here's the key. I'm taking. I'm using one of my brew pots. So if we're doing two loaves at a time, I'm using my big, old, wide. I think it's an eight or ten gallon brew pot. Mm-hmm. I am putting my. Um, I'm putting a food safe, like a pie plate in the bottom, just a, to a lift heat it. Safe. Yeah, heat d- safe. It's me in the oven. Yeah, to lift it off the bottom of the brew pot because the brew pot's actually going to, it's big enough that it sits on the bottom of the oven. Um, And then I'm putting my perforated pizza pan that I use for brewing a bag on top of that and then putting my loaf pans on on those. So in essence, you're trying to make it so the bread is not on the very... Uh huh. Yeah, it's an oven within an oven. The other thing is you're keeping the lid on because the key to a really nice development of your bread is steam. And that is the one thing that commercial bakers have over home bakers. And it's hard for us to produce that steam in our home ovens. So I'm basically creating an oven within an oven. Now, if I'm only doing one loaf, I'm using a smaller brew pot. It's my six, I don't know, five or six gallon brew pot, which actually fits on an oven shelf. And I'm, then I'm using like a, what's that stuff called? You know, it's oven proof, not Pyrex, but you know, whatever oven proof, nice loaf pan that you're going to use. So you preheat all of that, whether you're using, you know, your smaller brew pot or a larger brew pot, whatever you're putting in there, you're preheating everything. 500 degrees. Once that's there, you're going to take it very carefully, pull it out. You're going to slide your dough right into your preheated pan 
put the pot, put the lid on your brew pot, slide it back in. Preheated and greased or floured. Yeah, I actually I'm greasing everything, man. Yeah. I'm going with Peter yeah, Reinhardt's, and so far it's working. Yeah. Um, and it makes it really easy because the first time we did not do that, it's true. and it stuck, and it was it didn't it didn't rise quite like I wanted. So you're gonna score the top. You're gonna put the lid back on your brew pub. Score the top of your bread. Put the lid back on your brew on your brew pot. Put it in the oven. We bake it for about 25, well, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on the size of your loaves. With the lid on yep. for the steam. At 500 degrees. Yep. You're going to take the lid off, bake it for maybe an additional 15 minutes with the lid off. That way, man, you get a great rise. And the crust. Oh, man, it's, it's just so good. We're, Chris cracking. and I have been eating so much bread. It's, <laughs> yep. it's delicious. And we haven't got, we have not gotten experimental yet with the other, with the other stuff on that. Going back to the vessel to, to brew in, we're saying use these pots because we... Uh, uh, you know, we have a modest life and aren't trying to spend too much money, but you could buy one of those, uh, uh, what do they call them, the cliche, cliche, cliche? Cloche. Cloche, that's the one. Cloche, which I is a... Uh, which is how you pronounce it, but yeah. C-L-O-C-H-E, right? Yep. Which is Like a, the hat. I don't know. I know nothing of the hat. <laughs> but don't try and wear the, a, a bread-making cloche as a hat. You'll burn your head. Yeah. The other that's option you know. could do is the first batch, we just baked in a preheated pot that's larger than the loaf and has a lid. But the whole thing is you want a closed environment for the first, you know, 25, 30 minutes to get that steam. And I love it that I can use my brewing equipment to make bread. I think it's actually a fantastic fermentation crossover. I agree. So let's talk about what, what, you know, bread. You got to have something with your bread, right? I mean, actually, I can eat this just plain, but... I say beer. I want to brew beer with the... Beer butter, not butter beer. I hate butter beer. How so do you the, make butter, Mary? Because <laughs> it's delicious too. So the other thing, I will say, I'm going to give a shout, great big shout out to Brian Hall, who we had on one of the episodes last year, and he talked to us. He has a cool ship up in Maine. Met so him I, at the NHC. Yep, I last year's NHC in Philly. So I recently spoke to him, and we were talking about how he is making sourdough bread. He's actually using the tartine method. Um, tartine is a bakery in San Francisco, and it's also the name of a book that is this method and it is absolutely a fantastic book i would highly recommend it it was on sale on kindle recently so we picked up a copy Mm -hmm. but check it out um at your local bookstore or wherever you buy your books um and then he's also making cultured butter so i asked him a little bit about it then i looked it up and thanks to brian we now have cultured butter as well so when you're 5 30 p.m today exactly (laughs) so when you're culturing butter you're basically taking cream and you want um, it can be homogenized. It does. It shouldn't be ultra pasteurized. So you don't want just regular pasteurized is fine. So take a nice cream. You know, if you can get a local cream, the better. Oftentimes you can find local cream at your green market or farmers market. Whole Foods actually has a lot of local um, dairy products as well as your local health food store or co-op. So get some nice fresh local cream, and then get some film jolk. I don't even know Not if I'm whole saying milk. that. Cream. It's got to be cream. Yeah, it's uh-huh. heavy cream, like heavy whipping cream. Okay. Uh, heavy cream. And you're going to get some something, a mesophilic starter, yogurt starter. So we are using Siggy's Film Jolk. I don't know how to say that, but it's F-I-L-M-J-O-L-K. And mesophilic means that it works at room temperature. So there are certain yogurts and cultures that work at room temperature as opposed to having to be heated. Uh, so we're using Siggy's, which is a local brand that we can get at our local grocery store, you know, as well as natural health food stores at Whole Foods. Um, so I'm taking three cups. You're going to use one tablespoon of starter per cup of cream. So I had three cups of cream. I used three tablespoons of Siggy's Film Jolk. 
<laughs> Somebody can correct <laughs> me later. Um, and you're going to let that ferment. Again, we're putting that in our fermentation chamber because our apartment's too cold. For two days, smell it. Ours smelled nice and sour. Yeah. I could tell Chris was a little leery. I when. was leery, about it, <laughs> but it tastes good. And then I, uh, so this morning before I left for work, I put that in the fridge to let, to chill it a little bit. It'll make separation easier. When we got home, I put it through a food processor. It's going to blend. We actually, uh, if you want to see the photos of that process, we put it on Heritage Radio's Instagram at around 530 or 6, so you can check that out. So you're going to put that through the food processor, let it go, let it go. It gets really creamy, and then it kind of thickens, and then all of a sudden it'll go, and you'll have butter and buttermilk. <laughs> what does it do? What's happening when it goes? It's separating into curds and whey. Ah. So the whey is buttermilk. Save that. So strain that off. Put it in the fridge, save it, use it for buttermilk pancakes or whatever fun stuff you want to bake with it. Then go ahead and take the butter. You can rinse it with ice cold water. Um, that'll make it last a little bit longer. So we rinsed it and then I packed it in some nice clean glass jars and we will have butter. That's right. I'm excited about the buttermilk pancakes, but I'm pissed I'm going to be gone for this first batch. I know. So anyway, that is how you make <laughs> cultured butter and sourdough. We're going to have a lot. We're going to have some other bread episodes. We want to get some experts on here. But I just wanted to tell you about our experience because it's really easy to make bread. And it's so delicious. I have been timid about bread making for you know, since I started home brewing. Like I, I always wanted to make bread. But when I first joined the New York City Home Brewers Guild, there was a guy in, in that thing. He's like, yeah, I've been really trying to perfect my, my sourdough uh, baguettes. And like he was really really working on it and working on it and i was like wow he's really working on it and working on it it sounds like a lot to be working on if he's so concerned but apparently he's just a little bit more of a perfectionist and just trying to perfect it in a way but it's really easy to make a good bread yeah absolutely and i think that's true i think we're made like we're happy with the kind of bread that we're making because it's well it's delicious and we made it and it's just really good absolutely so um so that's a little bit i want to also say that um I've been exploring shrubs, so we'll talk about that in a future episode. And then I was really happy that we got to explore... What's a shrub? S- a shrub is a drinking vinegar. Okay. So we're going to talk about... I'll talk about that next week because I'm going to make it for the holidays. They're delicious. Um, so next year, what do we have on our slate? This is what I want to ferment next year. I want to ferment mesophilic yogurt, so this room temperature yogurt. I want to explore skier and film jolk. Film yolk. I used to drink jolk cola. Oh, it's something else, isn't it? Then more bread. We're going to continue the bread. Fermented veggies. I was, you know, I was super inspired by all of our guests that ferment veggies, and I'd mm-hmm. like to do more of that. Um, I want to explore other worldwide beverages. I'm talking about chicha, and then Kuzma are going to learn more about wine. Yes, we're going to start a group called uh, Wine for Beardos. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. So if you're a beer geek in New York City and want to learn about wine, this group is for you. Um, wow, I'm so excited. I'm so thankful for fermentation. I did want to say something else. I think it was donate at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This, this whole thing exists because of you and uh, because of our listeners. And if you have you know just any, any little bit spare to keep us going, uh, the more the merrier. And happy holidays. Yeah, and we want to hear from you. If there's something that you want, somebody you want us to interview or somebody, something that you, a topic that you want us to research and talk about, then reach out to us. We're Foment About It on Twitter and now Instagram. We also have a Facebook page or you can reach us at fomentaboutit at gmail.com. That's F- U H M E N T A B O U D I T 
at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Oh, so I want to say I hope that your holidays, whatever holiday you celebrate, are filled with fermented goodness. I'm headed to Atlanta to visit my parents for five days, and I am going to bring my sourdough starter. I'm going to put it in my checked bag, and I'm going to put it in a two-ounce container on my <laughs> carry-on. Like you make bread on the on the airplane? I could bake bread on the airplane. Well, you could. You got 14 hours. Uh, no, 16. 16. Um, because I really want to, I want to share my sourdough bread with my family. So I'm going to try to. I think I think my sourdough starter will will make it on the plane. Um, and then I would also would like to make some cultured butter. So I might I might be sticking a uh, I think a Siggy, Siggy's fill milk in my checked bag as well. How concerned should we be as bread makers when we want to make clean beer in our house? Not and, at all. Nothing different. <laughs> Good. See, don't be scared. Bread, make it. And I will hear from you guys next year, I guess. Fomet yes. about it over Fomet here. about Happy it. Happy holidays. Yep. I'll be back next week with a buddy brewing show <laughs> next buddy. Monday, 7 p.m. Fomet about it. Fomet about it over here. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.